Amen. Well, God's grace, mercy, and peace be with you from God our Savior and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Today, we are at an important topic in our sermon series on the Ten Commandments. It's a, a familiar commandment, but a sensitive one. So let's go ahead and read this commandment, this sixth commandment from Exodus chapter 20. Let's read this out loud together, okay? You shall not commit adultery. It's a sensitive topic, uh, not only because the subject is taboo in our culture, but it's sensitive because when this commandment is broken, it devastates marriages and families. It breaks hearts. It breaks up friendships. So we must talk about it. Can't skip over this one. I thought about doing that. Could have easily found something else to preach on this Sunday. But as we're learning about in this series, God's commandments really aren't just rules to get us into trouble. To the contrary, they're for our benefit. So to help us understand things and to give us the full life that Jesus wants for us, we want to better understand this commandment as well. Because the commandments show us our boundaries. They show us what is good for us and what will cause us pain. And this commandment on adultery can cause much pain. So it's good that we address it even if it is awkward. Uh, I don't know, was it awkward for you when you had that birds and the bees conversation when you were a kid, or maybe when you were giving the birds and the bees conversation, you felt a little awkward doing that? A little how I feel today, I'll be honest. Um, it's awkward, but it's very important. So today's gospel is very helpful on this topic, John chapter 8. We find ourselves here a kind of a unique setting. So I want you to kind of, in your mind, put yourselves there. I know I just read it a moment ago but kind of try to put yourself there as I read these words. So at dawn, Jesus appeared again in the temple courts where all the people gathered around him and he sat down to teach them. And I just want to say, this is at a time in Jesus' ministry where he's really grown in popularity. Uh, people have never heard anybody preach like Jesus and teach like him. And he's done miracles. And so when he shows up to preach, word gets out and people show up and they gather around him wherever he goes. And this time, when they're gathered, uh, something shocking happens. Uh, the teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery. They made her stand before the group and said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. In the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. Now, what do you say? So imagine uh, people were expecting this incredible teaching. Some people wanted to be healed. Maybe they want to be challenged by Jesus, whatever he says. And then all of a sudden, these men burst in, and they've got this woman. No doubt she's crying, feeling ashamed and embarrassed, probably terrified. And they announce that she's literally been caught in the act of adultery. She's, in all likelihood, not properly dressed. And she's standing right there in the midst of everybody. Can you imagine? I really can't. So these men put this woman, this woman right in, in the middle of the crowd in front of Jesus, and they demand an answer to the question. In the law, Moses says such women must be stoned to death. What do you say? Now, the thing about this question is if they were seeking Jesus' guidance or looking for a way to understand how they should handle this delicately, that would be one thing. But in reality, the whole thing is a setup. 
In the very next verse, they even, the, the Bible tells us this, that they were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him or accusing Jesus. It was a trap, they thought, because Jewish law said that someone caught in adultery was to be put to death. Uh, but the Roman law, which is what they were really living under at that time, said you couldn't put anyone to death without the Roman authorities carrying it out. Um, that's why the Pharisees and the religious leaders, when they decided that Jesus needed to go away, that they go to Pilate, because they can't do it themselves without violating the Roman law and getting themselves into all kinds of trouble. So they put Jesus in the situation as a trap, because if he says, well, of, of course the law says that you are to put her to death, then he's upholding the law of Moses, but he'll be putting himself in jeopardy with the Romans. But if he says, absolutely not, let her go free, he'll be safe under the Roman law, but he'd be violating the law of Moses. So they're thrilled with themselves. They, they think they've got this airtight trap, no matter what Jesus says, they think they've got him. Um, but what's interesting is the way that it's worded in this gospel, um, which is recording what they said, they don't actually have the law of Moses exactly right. If you go back to that section of Moses in Leviticus, it says, if a man commits adultery with another man's wife, with the wife of his neighbor, both the adulterer and the adulteress must be put to death. So this woman was caught in the very act of adultery. That's what it says. So that means the man would have been there as well. And so by their very act of excluding him, they're tipping their hand at the game they're playing. They're not really interested in justice, but they're using this woman as a prop for their trap. So she's kind of gone, in a sense, from the one be doing the betraying, being the betrayer, to the one being betrayed. As is with us, we can be both betrayed and betrayer. And I think of you know, the fact that many of us have been betrayed, maybe by adultery or, or maybe by something else. Um, those are terrible, terrible wounds, painful injuries. Before we pick back up with the rest of the gospel that follows, I'd like to uh, take a digression and give you some things that will help you if you've been betrayed in the process of healing. And again, a disclaimer, I'm not a psychologist, I'm not a licensed therapist. Um, these are just things um, that I found to be true and I've learned along the way. The first is don't go alone through what you're going through. Any kind of betrayal that you've been through, deep wounds, and if you try to go it alone, you run the risk of letting that betrayal define your life and growing in bitterness, anger, and resentment. Um, you, you need help. You don't need to go through that alone because you just perpetuate any shame. Uh, sometimes you are the one that needs to help someone else, so keep that in mind. The second is work on forgiveness. This is, this is very difficult to do. I realize that. I'm not minimizing it. Um, but sometimes, you know, the person who's been betrayed um, uh, or the person who's done the betraying doesn't even admit or care to admit that they're wrong. And it's very natural in that case to hold on to the resentment. The problem is if you do that, you do not forgive, then you're the person who suffer. And the devil knows that. So that's why when we're wounded, 
Um, a lot of times we go into retreat mode, but the devil knows that that isolation is a very fertile soil for the tentacles of bitterness, resentment, um, and, and unhealth to grow and to move through our heart and uh, really um, into our minds. So the enemy's thrilled when we won't forgive. Again, uh, regardless of the size of the hurt, the call to forgiveness is the same. Um, the other is that you might consider reconciliation. You know, when, when, when God described his relationship to the people of Israel, he described it as a marriage where the people were unfaithful to him. It says, but like a woman unfaithful to her husband, so you have been unfaithful to me, O house of Israel, declares the Lord. And yet we know, again, you have to go to the New Testament, Jesus Christ, we know what our, our God's response was to our unfaithfulness to him. Compassion, love, forgiveness, and through his son, restoration and reconciliation. And this is something that we can strive for in our relationships as well, particularly in marriage. Uh, Jesus says, um, therefore what God has joined together, let no one separate. Sometimes the wounds of betrayal when the situation makes it not possible to reconcile, but you should at least consider it for your own heart and mind. And if reconciliation does occur, what we need to be careful is not to go back to the same old relationship, not to just brush past what happened, but to demand the truth. Um, this is about uh, trust, building trust. We, I talked about this last uh, Sunday as well um, in the commandment on murder. We want to ultimately build back trust. Um, what happens is sometimes if we are striving to forgive and to reconcile and to come back together, um, there's two things that we can do that might be mistakes in this regard. And one is that we um, can just, you know, kind of ignore or, or continue, excuse me, the opposite of that. We can continue to relive and rehash the hurt and bring it up, but that's not reconciliation. Um, that's resentment, really, in action. And the other thing is that we can say, well, I don't want to know anything about it. I just want to get past it. But that doesn't work because you and I, again, wherever this betrayal has happened, you and I can't offer true forgiveness if we don't deal with the hurt that has happened. All right, so that's, you know, if you've been the one who's been betrayed, and that, I think, in our gospel reading, that's the, um, you know, the maybe the spouses of uh, the, the, the ones that are committing adultery. But let's pick back up this gospel reading, and there's another half of the story. Um, again, these people set up what they thought was an airtight trap for Jesus. But what Jesus did was he bent down, and he started to write on the ground with his finger. Uh, does anybody know what he wrote? Uh, if you do, write a book, because theologians disagree. There's lots of opinions. Scripture doesn't tell us. Uh, we can come up with a bunch of ideas. The most popular is to consider that uh, Jesus was writing down a list of sins. Um, but whatever he wrote, it was effective. And so he kept on, it says he kept on questioning them. He straightened up and said to them, if any one of you is without sin, let him be the first to throw a stone at her. Again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground at this those who heard began to go away one at a time, the older ones first, until only Jesus was left with the woman standing there. 
Some theologians suggest that Jesus isn't just talking about any sin here, um, when he says, if any one of you is without sin, but particularly this sin, if any one of you is without this sin or is, not, is guiltless in regard to this sin, then judge her. Um, because they, they know they're not uh, guiltless in this regard because Jesus, remember, as he does with all of our commandments, he raises the bar. And, you know, uh, for the children's message, Maria kept this very much to, um, you know, marriage. Uh, but really, Jesus says, you've heard it said, do not commit adultery. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. So the men that Jesus is addressing um, are guilty of this. So are we. Sadly, though, we live in a culture that has made this sexual temptation, um, it's all around us. It's saturated, really, with innuendo, sexual messaging. It's very hard to escape this. And what Jesus is showing us in this commandment is that it, it goes beyond just relations with someone else's spouse. It includes any lust of the eyes, any lust of the heart. So all of us fall short of God's command. And all of us are really in the place of this woman who stands ashamed and guilty. So in light of this, in light of what Jesus writes on the ground, the men begin to walk away. They all walk away. But Jesus doesn't. Jesus straightens up. He says to her, woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Now go and leave your life of sin. So we can identify with the betrayed, but we can also identify with the betrayer, the ones who have committed the sin. So what I want to do with this last part here is consider uh, what we do if we find ourselves being the betrayer, but even more so, how to avoid becoming that betrayer in the first place. What to do so as not to betray. Uh, the first is the same. Don't go alone. Get help. It's the lie of the enemy for you and I to believe. You've gotten yourself into this mess. Now get yourself out. And when it comes to our areas of sin, our areas of blindness and weakness, uh, what I want to encourage you to do is not to just try to tackle that alone, but reach out to a trusted friend, a pastor, a counselor, and do this, again, certainly if betrayal has occurred, but even better, before one happens. Second, confess your sins. As long as we keep that sin to ourselves, we're playing at the devil's game. But when we confess sin, which is why we believe, we begin, excuse me, every service with confession. We confess our sins. We're open to the, the possibility not only of forgiveness for healing, um, restoration, and freedom, um, but we open ourselves to, to, to hope and to living a new life in Christ. Whatever you keep in the dark has power over you. Just a quick, uh, lighthearted but important digression. Last Sunday when I was in San Marcos um, preaching on the fifth commandment, uh, the elder, uh, Lance Anderson, he told me after the service that when he was in youth ministry, um, he was leading a confirmation retreat, and the camp that they were at was uh, a Presbyterian camp, I think it was, and uh, he had put a lot, they were going to go through the commandments on this confirmation retreat, but they built a lot of time in 
for the sixth commandment, which in other church bodies numbering is uh, the commandment on murder. Sixth commandment for us is adultery. And if you know, and you know, youth, and we've got our acolyte here. I was just talking to him about confirmation and that whole process. Um, you know, with teenagers, you want to, to address this topic and, you know, hit it straight on and, and teach them, right? But of course, this guy's thinking that they're spending an awful lot of time talking about murder. <laughs> and he's like, is there anything I need to know about the youth at this camp? You know, are they in any kind of trouble? You know, uh, and he's like, couldn't figure out what happened until afterwards. He realized, no, we're going to be talking about adultery quite a bit. And the reason I mention that is because rather than shy away from this topic, particularly with our youth. We need to address it very directly because the world is certainly teaching them, teaching us its side of the story on this topic. And so how good it is to hear this message when we're young, for our children to hear it, because the enemy can have so much power over us in this area because it is such a private and personal thing and it's got so much stigma around it. But if young people don't learn the power that this, this commandment and this, the sin that's attached to it, if they don't learn the power that this struggle can have over them, then they'll end up falling right into the enemy's trap and then try to keep anything to do with this topic a secret and try to handle it themselves. And the fact is, we're a sitting duck when we do that. So that was a lot on these first two points of getting help and confessing our sin. Whatever you bring to the light is where freedom begins. Otherwise, the enemy will continue to use that sin to have power over us. Better yet, avoid the sin in the first place. The Apostle Paul tells us, flee from sexual immorality. All other sins a person commits are outside the body, but whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. So what I get from this, and I've underlined that first word, is uh, don't make the mistake of thinking that you can kind of tiptoe around, get close to the fire and, and control it, flee. Avoid it altogether. And I would say part of that is getting accountability. We need those people who will tell us the truth about things in our life when they see us being in danger. We don't see our own blind spot. We need to have friends who are truth tellers in our life who love us enough to tell us the uncomfortable truth and who will still love us if we tell them the uncomfortable truth. Very good for us. This is why God says it's not good, not only in, the command, in Genesis with the creation, it's not good for man to be alone. Also in this regard, it's not good for man to be alone. Uh, you, you want someone who's going to help you, this is the last point on this, not fall for the lie of the enemy. What is that lie? Well, the lie goes something like this. Uh, when a couple uh, first gets together and uh, really, at, at many times in our relationships, we just mountaintop experience. Uh, things are great. The relationship is going strong, but valleys come. The pressure of life takes its toll, and the, the devil begins to meddle. And he is a master tactician. Excuse me. Uh, someone once said he makes custom-made temptations. He knows exactly where our weakness is. This particular sin may not be a weakness that you have any temptation in. Um, many people do, and if it's not in this area, the devil knows your weakness. And he will find a way to lie to you about God's command in this regard. 
And so again, I know I've been talking a little bit about confirmation here, um, but with confirmation students, one of the things I teach them is just like you do those emergency drills in school, you know, back in the old days it was for air raids, now unfortunately it's for active shooters and things like that. But either way, the message is the same. In a crisis, an emergency is not the time to try to be thinking up a plan. You need to decide in advance what you're going to do. I tell the kids, and I'm telling you, sharing this with you today, also in this area of sexual sin, decide in advance what you're going to do. Come up with a plan. And more than this, while you're thinking clearly, tell yourself what the devil's lies are so you can recognize them. So his lies, he has a way of, right in that moment, of making you believe that they're going to be true. And he'll say things to you like, just do it, you deserve it. Or saying, isn't that person a lot better than your spouse? Or he'll say things like, God can't possibly mean for one man and one woman to be faithful to each other their whole life. Now again, caveat, this is not me speaking. <laughs> I'm not teaching you this. I'm trying to teach you the kind of lie that the devil will tell you. He paints a really good lie that you will want to believe in your moment of weakness. So the question I'm asking you is, what are the lies that Satan is telling you? You chose the wrong person. Sometimes he tells us that lie. You've already messed up, so why not go the whole way? Or saying, God's way will never make you happy. Okay, so I've given you a bunch of lists. You have your own. But I want everybody to practice this together. Like I said, this is our emergency drill. So I put this on the screen. We all will respond to Satan this way. When those lies come, we will say all together, Satan, that's a lie. I'm, I'm serious. You need to tell yourself in advance how he's going to trick us because he's predictable. He's going to trick us in this area and really every other one where we have weakness and temptation. Because the devil wants you to believe that once you give in to the temptation, it's all gumdrops and lollipops, and you'll finally be happy and satisfied. And the problem with that is man is not capable of knowing what will make him or her happy. Only God knows. And he's told us in his commandments. But it means we have to trust him and not listen to the world, our flesh, and the devil. So friends, as you're listening to this, maybe you're in a season where you can be that confidant or that accountability person uh, to a friend, uh, someone who's got your brothers or sisters back, someone who can see the lie when they can't see it. Um, and the thing is, while, while sexual sin may be an individual sin, I believe that the solution and the healing from its damaging effects is something we all own. It's a shame that the church doesn't talk more about sexuality. We are in a time when our culture, our politicians, Hollywood, the media are all talking about sexuality, but friends, what that happens is they begin to define it, and they don't get to define it for a child of God. God defines it. God's Word teaches, and we as a community uphold that regardless of what the world does. And likewise, when we fail in this area of sexual purity, we don't respond the way the world does with shame and canceling, cancel culture, what we do is we respond and we find ourselves in this same place that the woman in the gospel did embarrassed. We find ourselves or someone finds themselves embarrassed, disappointed, betrayed, wounded, and ashamed. We respond as Jesus did. So very important. Neither do I condemn you. And then he gives her and he gives us a way back to him. He says, go, now leave your life of sin. 
we can learn so much in dealing with other people who have fallen and even in our own heart to hear these words of Jesus so clearly. That's what his commandments are about. They're not condemnation. They're guidelines for leaving a life of sin and enjoying the abundant and full life that God wants for us. My prayer is that when we make mistakes, we understand that God has far more grace than any mistake or failure of ours, no, no matter how many and no matter how big. Can I say that again? That we understand that God has more grace than any mistake or failure of ours, no matter how many or how big. So what guilt, what betrayal are you carrying? God has all the grace and all the forgiveness you could ever need, and he wants you back. He doesn't want you hiding. He doesn't want you trying to fix it all yourself. He doesn't want to condemn you. He wants you in relationship, restored relationship with him. Leave your life of sin and return to me to receive a life of forgiveness and hope. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, we, we thank you for your undeserved goodness to us that through the sacrifice of your perfect Son, you exchange our filthy rags for his goodness and righteousness. And then you call us your beloved children and teach us how to live lives that are full and free. Father, help us to treasure that relationship with you and to live within the loving commandments that you have given us. And beyond that, to live in your grace. It's in Jesus' holy name that we pray. Amen.